mentioned earlier that this is Scout Sunday, so I know some of our scouts are away camping and in different places, but I do want to acknowledge some folks today. And uh, I think by the time I'm finished with this, most of you will be standing, I hope. But first of all, if you are currently a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, Cub Scout or Brownie, would you please stand for just a moment and remain standing? Stand up. Very good. Remain standing. If you are a scout leader or have ever been a scout leader, would you please stand? If you are the parent or a grandparent of a scout, a girl scout, a boy scout, cub, or a brownie, would you stand? All right. If you have ever bought Girl Scout cookies... <laughs> Or Boy Scout popcorn, would you please stand? All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. You may be seated. That uh, just wanted you to see how much we have been influenced, mostly in good ways, by the scouting movement across the years. And I'm pleased to have been a part of that tradition and enjoy going to uh, award ceremonies and eagle ceremonies even today. It's been a big part of my life as well. So thank you all who are part of this and look forward to the, the Cubs developing here and are grateful for our Boy Scouts and all those scouting groups that are connected to this church in any way. Thank you. We're, we're delighted that you're here. Our scripture lesson for this morning, it happens to be the Old Testament lectionary Reading, but it fits in with our series for today. The gospel lesson for today is being read and expounded on by Vince in the Connect service, but we're going with the Old Testament lesson from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of God for the people of God. We'll continue our series now, Going Home by a Different Road. We've been dealing with this series for a few weeks, and we've got a few more weeks to go until we approach the season of Lent. But on January the 6th, we started this. You remember the story, of course, of the wise men who came to see the 
infant Jesus and who were warned to go home by a different road because the evil and dangerous King Herod awaited them if they had gone back the same way. Oftentimes, folks who encounter Jesus the Christ end up going home by a different road. January the 13th, baptism of the Lord. Jesus was baptized, not to be cleansed from any sin, but it was the beginning of his ministry. It was an ordination of sorts. It put his feet on the service road, a road that would eventually lead to the cross. And along the way, it led to a place where he would kneel and wash the feet of his followers. January 20th, the back roads versus the interstate. We talked about how some folks like to take the interstate or the bypass, but others like the back roads. And when you take the back roads, you find small towns and villages, like the little village of Cana in the book of John, where Jesus performed his first sign or miracle, according to John's gospel, by transforming the water into wine, which showed the power that he had to change things, to change people, but also said something to us about the abundance of God, how God never runs out. January the 27th, we talked about a spirit-controlled GPS or God-positioning system where the Holy Spirit led Jesus back to his hometown in the region of Galilee, in the town of Nazareth, in the synagogue within that town of Nazareth, where he stood up and read the scriptures and sat down to preach. And then last Sunday, going home again. Jesus is still at Nazareth, still in the synagogue, and something he said or something he did, I think it's a couple of the stories he pulled out of the Old Testament about the grace of God being a reality, not just for good people and God's people, but for those outside of Israel. And they got so upset with Jesus for reminding them of something that they already knew that they drug him out up a hill. They were going to throw him down against some stones, some rocks, and destroy him, but he slipped away. Wasn't his time yet. As for today, after reading this passage from Isaiah, the question I think before us, or one of the questions is, me, take that road? You sure? To the best of my knowledge, limited as it is, God has always chosen specific people to carry out specific tasks in this world that God loves so much. And I won't go through all the call stories in scripture. We'd be here for a day or two or longer, but a few of them very early, early, early on, there was Noah. Noah found grace or some translations say favor in the eyes of the Lord. And he was being called to a very particular task. You want me to build what, (laughs) he said? That's what I thought you said, big boat. But Lord, don't you know the geography of this area? I live a long way from any large bodies of water. You want me to put wheels on this thing so we can get it to the water? Oh, okay. (laughs) You'll take care of the water part? Got it. Where's this construction project going to take place, Lord? In my driveway. Lord, have you talked to the homeowners association about how they might respond to that? Okay. Okay, Lord, I promise I'll quit talking and start hammering. And then there was Abraham, 75 years old. I remember when I used to think that was old. 
Abraham was 75 years old, probably set in his ways just a little bit, don't you think? And he wasn't studying, moving anywhere except maybe in a decade or two to an assisted living place somewhere in Florida with shuffleboard and checkers, and that didn't sound so bad. Where am I going, he said. I know, I know, I know. That's for you to know and me to find out, okay? If you won't answer the where question, Lord, how about the why question? Oh, you want me to become the father of a great nation, Lord? I don't have any youngins. Just leave that to me, Abe. Start packing. And then there were young and old, rich and poor, weak and strong, women and men, folks all through Scripture who were called by God, folks who were mixed up with other folks, folks who were minding their own business, folks who were minding everybody else's business. God called all kinds of folks. And one of those folks was the writer of our Old Testament lesson for today, the book of the prophet Isaiah, his words, his description of his call to ministry is probably one of the best known passages in the Old Testament, if not the entire Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah was having a a vision in the temple. And then I heard the voice of the Lord. There was this encounter with the presence of God. And we say we want that. People see that and say they'd really love to have an encounter with the presence of the living God. Do we? Would it scare us to death? I think Isaiah was a bit frightened. There was a confession, a ritual of purification and overhearing the Lord addressing the heavenly council and then acceptance of the call. The prophet was set aside to proclaim a most difficult message to people who probably did not want to hear it. Such is the role of the prophet always. He had experienced the presence of God whose, whose glory filled the whole earth trying to do a little background research on this passage, I found the words of Dr. Gene Tucker, who taught Old Testament at the Candler School of Theology several years ago, and was also one of the writers for the New Interpreter's Bible. And he was talking about Isaiah's call, and I liked his words better than any I could come up with. He said, although at the critical moment, the prophet shows no hesitation, there are two points of resistance. Isaiah confesses his unworthiness first and he intercedes for the people becomes not only a prophet but a priest intercedes for the people when he realizes the message of God that he's got to deliver to these folks and it's a tough call it's a tough message And Dr. Tucker goes on, moreover, he said, it does not go too far to conclude that one test of an authentic call is to identify with the accused. Isaiah questioned the harsh message. He interceded for the people. He didn't take any pleasure in chewing folks out and blessing folks out and calling folks to accountability. It's not something he enjoyed. In the Old Testament, one is allowed to resist, to disagree with, and even to challenge the Lord God. The God whose glory fills the skies, he says. All questions are allowed. This whole idea of unworthiness, and it's very much a part of this story, isn't it? Lord, I'm 
unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I'm unworthy. It carries over into the New Testament. I mentioned the gospel lesson for today that we we didn't read, but it's from Luke chapter 5. Jesus calling his apostles. He was standing beside the Sea of Galilee. He noticed two boats there at the shore. The recent occupants of those boats were down from the boats just a little bit, washing their nets. They were fishing folks in the fishing business. And Jesus got into one of the boats. It was Simon's boat. And he said, push out a little bit from the shore and let me sit down so I can talk to the people. And he taught the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished, he invited Simon to let the nets down into the deep water. And Simon was hesitant, but eventually he did what Jesus said and the nets were so full he couldn't lift them. They were breaking. Peter was so overwhelmed by everything that was happening and by the presence of Jesus, he said, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Get away. I shouldn't be anywhere near you. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. One day you'll be catching people for me. And then Simon and the others left everything and followed Jesus. The only cure that I know anything about for those feelings of unworthiness is the grace of God. And there are many things that happen that cause us to feel unworthy. Numerous other call stories in the New Testament. The one we probably best know is the story of Paul on the Damascus Road who was blinded by the light, maybe by a lightning flash, and changed immediately. And since biblical times, women and men and all kinds of people have responded to the call of God in their lives. Some of these are obscure folks. Some of them are well-known historical figures. But a close-up witness to the calls of all of these people is that same sense of unworthiness. It's always close by. It never wants to go away. We feel like we're not good enough. And that surely God is mistaken if God is calling us. I don't think I've had opportunity yet or haven't taken opportunity to tell you about my own continuing call to ministry. And on this Sunday, I want to take a few minutes to do that. And I want you to think about God's call on your life. How you might fulfill that, how you are fulfilling it now. One of the things, or the first thing that always comes to mind when I think about God's call on my life is that it was a church-based call. Grew up in the Stewart Avenue United Methodist Church, not far from here in southwest Atlanta. Heard God's word there, experienced God's people, was there. Not every time the door was open, to use the old expression, but oftentimes we had church Sunday morning and Sunday night. And I remember, I think it's been 55 years ago today, if what I read was right, I begged my mother and dad, please let me stay home from church on Sunday night because the Beatles were going to be on Ed Sullivan for the first time. And and they did. They let me stay home. It didn't ruin me. Uh, I don't think. But uh, I remember that. I remember how much a part of my life the church was. And I remember one Sunday night, another Sunday night, when a guy named Mitch Killinan, who was a student associate pastor we had there, was preaching. And something just sort of came over me. It was a feeling. It's hard to describe, but it's something that I knew for sure. 
And I felt like God was calling me to do what Mitch was up there doing. And I was sitting there telling myself all the reasons that wasn't going to work out because I knew preachers had to officiate at funerals and such. And I was scared to death of funeral homes and dead folks. And there were a lot of reasons I kept telling myself, you can't do this. You can't do this. But that sense would not go away. And then when I was about 16 years old, we received a pastor named Ronnie Rowe. He was finishing up his work at seminary. He was in his mid-20s. And for the first time in my life, I saw and experienced a pastor who seemed to be a real human being. He had a great sense of humor. He loved the kid. He uh, was just real. So many folks I had known who were in leadership in the church, lay people and pastors, were like stained glass window figures, and they just didn't seem real. But this was a flesh and blood guy that I could relate to and that spent time with me and talked to me, and I could talk to him and question some of his thoughts and things, and he didn't seem offended by any of that. He had a major impact on my life. I don't think he ever knew. And then God's continuing call on my life came through and still comes through other people, uh, family members. I remember once I said that's what I believe God wanted me to do, how my mother got behind that and was my biggest cheerleader. And so many things looking back in my life, I would not have this eagle badge if it hadn't been for my mother pushing me to get this eagle badge. I would have timed out age-wise and that would have been that. But she encouraged me, stayed behind me, and I'm so glad that she did. I had friends who began to see some gifts and graces in my life, some things after they knew about how I was wrestling with this call and would point out things that were helpful to me, that encouraged me, that made me think, yeah, maybe you can do this, unworthy as you feel so many days. And then there were other pastors, there were other church leaders, there were folks who would say things to me, write me notes, do things, just helpful things, because they believed and wanted to affirm my call. That call was not unopposed, and by opposition to my call to ministry, I don't mean it was vicious or ugly or physical or anything like that, nothing like that, but just the things that people said that would make me think, hmm. I remember the first time I was going to speak in my home church and I was sitting in the choir room over to the side of the sanctuary where the choir would robe up. And one of the saints, an older guy in the choir came in there, put his arm around me and said, Charles, I admire you folks who are going to be preachers so much. You have to have all the answers and you always have to know what to say. Huh. Well, that's a terrible to hang on anybody's back in it. I mean, uh, it about scared me off right then. I was uh, working in the grocery store. Folks always have to eat. I would have had an okay career, I suppose. But uh, I realized later he was trying to be helpful, that nobody's got all the answers, and uh, I'm still learning. And then there's that need to work harder. I knew it was one of those things where you could do everything you could do all day long and still go home feeling like you hadn't done what you needed to do that day. And that kind of thing will weigh on you sometimes. And some of you know that from the lives you've lived and the work you've done. You just, there's no such thing as caught up. And I, I wrestled, I'd heard that from people and, and I wrestled with that. And then there's that whole unworthiness thing. 
just looked around at folks who I felt like could do this so much better than I could. And that unworthiness, I think about it like a hungry puppy. It'll follow you around wherever you go. And just when you think it's gone away, it shows up again. It's ongoing, this call to ministry. My priorities have changed over the years. The way I go about some things have changed. And, and that's a good thing, I hope, I think. John Maxwell teaches church leadership, and I've learned a lot from him, especially several years ago, and still read some of his books from time to time. He also teaches corporate leadership. He's sort of the, one of the gurus of leadership in this country. But he said one time something that really stuck with me as far as my ongoing call to ministry and something you might think about too. He said, if we are the same people today that we were 10 years ago, then we've wasted the last 10 years. And I really have to look at that and ask myself, how have I changed? Are things better? And it's God's continuing call to ministry, I believe, that has brought me here at this time. I can't think of any place I've ever left where I wanted to leave. And I've teasingly said sometime, though sometimes I've really sort of meant it, don't ever give a bishop or a district superintendent your cell phone number because they'll find you. Uh, but all of those places that I have moved from across the years and that I hated to leave, when I got to the next place, I, I just knew that right now that's where God would have me to be. That's that ongoing call to ministry. The unworthiness, those other things I still wrestle with, they're still there. But People have been gracious and have prayed for me and that call continues to unfold and I look forward to the days to come. What about God's call on your life? If we go back to January the 13th, the baptism of the Lord Sunday, Jesus' feet put on the service road. Baptism is for Christian folks, I believe, the first level of ordination and the most important, when God claims us and sets us aside to make a difference in this world. And so that's all of you or most of you. Lay ministry in our tradition or ministry by folk who aren't ordained is so significant that I cannot overstate it. We believe firmly along with Martin Luther and John Wesley and so many others in the priesthood of all believers that we've all got a place in the kingdom. Some of you are living out your ministry here. Some of you are maybe struggling with that and asking what's next. Maybe God's calling you to places of ministry outside these walls. That's okay. That's more than okay. That's where we're called to go. What is your ministry? What is God's call on your life? We are all gifted for ministry in different ways. And sometimes we misinterpret or we misread those gifts. One of the oldest stories around is about a guy who thought he was called to preach. And he told his pastor about it. His pastor said, well, let's see. A couple of Sunday nights from now, why don't you just plan on preaching for us? And the guy showed up, and he did. And it was terrible. <laughs> and uh, his pastor called him aside after the service and said, now tell me one more time about your call to preach. And the guy said, well, I was sitting on my back porch at the old farmhouse looking out over the fields, and I looked up in the sky, and I saw these two huge letters, G-P. And I just knew that meant go preach. <laughs> and his pastor looked at him for a moment and said, 
You reckon God meant go plow? <laughs> and thank goodness for folks who go plow or else we would all be hungry. So there are gifts and graces that we all have. Ministries that God calls us to. And I want on this Sunday, not just the younger folk here, though I want them to hear this, but all of you, God may be calling you to leadership in the church or even to ordain ministry. So many folks and college kids go to all kinds of careers. Their, their brilliance and their energy is, is used in a lot of ways, but maybe God's got a call on your life, a place for you in this church, and if that's true, or if you even think it might be true, I'd love to talk to you. Maria would, Vince would, but just let me know. And not just younger folks. God seems to not get too worried sometimes about how many years folks have behind them, but by their availability and their willingness to use their gifts. Are you open to further calls from God in your life? I want you to leave here thinking about that, praying about it, maybe even wrestling with it. Now, there are reasons not to. These may be some of your reasons. Number one, you might say, well, I don't have the exact education or the knowledge that I need. Or number two, you might say, I feel overwhelmed by that task. Or number three, you might say, well, I'm just unworthy. And I would say, that's wonderful. What are your other qualifications? <laughs> Let me finish telling you about Ronnie Rowe, the, the pastor I mentioned that influenced me so much. He used to tease a lot. He used to think the worst thing in the world was to turn 30. He thought that was old. I used to think that was old to us, but a long time ago. Ronnie was married. He had two little boys, Sean and Patrick. They were about four and five years old. And uh, I remember after he left our church and went to Reinhardt College as a chaplain, we got a phone call not long after that that, that Ronnie was gone, that he had died. <laughs> the cerebral hemorrhage, I'd never heard of that. 30 years old. And then at annual conference a year or two after that, when I was there to begin my ordination process, the pastor who was preaching the memorial service talked about Ronnie Rowe, and he told a story I had not heard. He said that when Ronnie died, one of his little boys asked their mother, Carol, Ronnie's wife, said, Mama, who's going to preach now? When I heard that story, God had me. God has a call on your life, too. I hope you'll take that seriously this day. Amen.